0: The first Bible reading this evening is from the book of Acts, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, He asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets.
1: Our second reading is Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers... Elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved."
2: Everybody could see that the disabled man who spent his life begging for alms at the entrance to the temple needed saving. It was obvious. But as he was over 40 years old and he'd been crippled from birth, the general presumption was that he was a hopeless case. The best anyone could do for him was to fling the odd coin his way, in, on your way in and out of the temple. That kept him alive and salved people's consciences about his plight. But Peter and John had no money as they went up to the temple that day. So instead, in the name of Jesus, they did something different. They healed the crippled beggar. And in a moment, his life was transformed as he danced after them into the temple, running around, jumping up and down and telling everyone how amazing God was. If you're looking for a picture of what salvation looks like in the here and now, you get it by the way in which that man's life was transformed. He gets his life back in spades, and Peter leaves his hearers in no doubt as to precisely how this has happened. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through Jesus that brought this man complete healing and restoration. Everyone knew that this man needed saving, everyone could see that he had been saved, and, G- and Peter said, Jesus, Jesus is the one who did it. The problem was that the religious leaders weren't very happy about this. They'd perceived Jesus of Nazareth as a threat, both to national security and to their own privileged status and position. So they connived with the Romans to have him executed and so neutralised the problem. So the last thing they wanted was for a couple of Jesus' followers to be claiming that a well-known cripple had been healed in the name of Jesus, who should have been dead and buried and on his way to being forgotten. This was not the kind of publicity they wanted or needed at all. So they haul the apostles in to demand an explanation, and they get one, though it's hardly music to their ears. Peter leaves them in no doubt about where they stand. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was saved, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They'd got it badly wrong. They'd rejected the one whom God had chosen, and now they needed saving from their disastrous mistake. Ironically, the only one who could save them was the very one whom they crucified, Jesus of Nazareth. Because, as Peter put it, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Why does does Jesus matter? You need look no further than Acts 4.12. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. What does it mean to be saved? These days you look online and it's mainly animals, seemingly, that need saving from extinction. We're all familiar with Save the Whale. A, a, a huge array of animals now have Save the This, That or the Other appended to them with organisations committed to saving them and rescuing them from extinction. Or else it's Save the Planet or saving features of the planet such as the Great Barrier Reef or the ocean. The NHS... And the Royal Navy also need saving. As do the children. Save the children is committed to giving children around the world it's a healthy start to life. The opportunity to learn and protection from harm. But in what sense do we need a saviour? If someone steps in to rescue us from disaster, we might thank them for saving our bacon. We might use that phrase if someone comes and repairs our boiler, Or gets us on the road after a breakdown. We might even thank them for being our saviour and sorting us out. When things go badly wrong and we can't sort them out ourselves, that's when we need someone to step in and save us. It's what a saviour does. And when our lives go off the rails, that's when we need jesus when something goes wrong with us that we know we can't fix ourselves that's when we know we need a savior sometimes though we don't realize just how much trouble we're in we need a savior but we're not aware of it as i said a moment ago it was self-evident to everyone that the guy begging at the beautiful gate had serious issues he needed a savior But the leaders of the people who were questioning Peter and John, the authority figures of the day, did they need a saviour? Did they know that they needed a saviour? Yes to the first question, no to the second. But you can tell that something's not right by their reaction to the man's healing. Everyone else is praising God for this marvellous miracle. They would rather he was still a paraplegic. They would rather he just stayed where he was than this incident that happened in the name of Jesus that was threatening to destabilise everything. And that's not good. You can tell that something is seriously wrong by their attitude. They can't see the good in what has happened Their eyes are blinking against it because they're looking for the bad. They were so convinced that they were in the right that they couldn't see how wrong they were. That's a very dangerous position to be in. They would kind of painted themselves into a corner really. Too much was at stake for them to admit they'd got it wrong. If the one person who can sort your life out is the very same person whom you've decided decisively to reject then it's very difficult to climb down and admit that you are wrong far easier in the short term just to tough it out to carry on and it's disconcertingly easy for us to end up in that kind of position in our lives we make a a wrong turn somewhere along the line And the further down the road you go, the harder it is to turn back. Because you become so heavily invested in what you've done, you can't begin to figure out how to let all that go and live your life a different way again. Like the leaders of the people, we can become so blinded by self-interest that we can lose a clear perspective on what counts as being really good. Our priorities end up being scrambled. If we're honest, we recognise that we're neglecting the things and the people that really should matter to us. And somehow we're giving all our time and attention to things that, well, they may not be inherently wrong, but are they that important? And when we put all our focus on these things that aren't that important, well, when they come to dominate our agenda, they can cause a lot of damage. Simply because we're investing too much in stuff that isn't worth investing in. How do we end up in such a condition? How do we end up kind of not devoting ourselves to the things that really matter and instead frittering away our attention on on rubbish? How does that happen? Well, focusing on the peripheral and moving it to the centre of our lives, that's the essence of how sin works. Because sin is misdirected love. That's how Augustine defined it. Loving what is not to be loved. Or failing to love what should be loved. Or having a greater love for what should be loved less. That can be the essence of our problem we focus on stuff that really doesn't matter and we neglect the stuff that's really important. Sometimes our skewed priorities are just a matter of giving our own innate selfishness free reign so that it runs away with us. At other times, despite our best intentions, we find ourselves pressurised by other people's expectations of us. Or sometimes it's just because we lack the energy or the willpower to get our own house in order. Sometimes it comes with a moment of clarity. Why am I doing this? Why am I living life this way? Why am I not committed to what's really important? How have I got in this state? No one is immune from doing that. The example of the chief priests and the leaders of the people in Acts 4 warns us that even the most successful of us can get it badly wrong. We can miss the boat. Somewhere on the line, we forget and neglect what really matters. So that something which we should say, yeah, that's really good. Somehow, we can't bring ourselves to say that because it conflicts with our own self-interest and our own agenda. When that happens, we know that we're in trouble and the 19th century Scottish preacher Andrew Murray put it well when he said salvation consists wholly in being saved from ourselves or that which we are by nature it's because we ourselves are part of the problem that we need a saviour because we can't change ourselves We need an expert whom we can call in to come and sort our lives out for us. But it means putting our life in his hands for him to do so. Here I am, Lord. Sort me out. And when you check out the accredited list of personal saviours, there's only one name which comes with a full quality assurance guarantee. And that is Jesus so-called, because he saves people from his sins. That's his job, and he's an expert at it. And that's why there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. He's the only one to do it. Firstly, he has a clear idea of what our priorities need to be. Love God first, because he's supreme goodness. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will find its rightful place after that. And then love your neighbour as you love yourself. The orientation of our lives needs to be away from ourselves. To the one who supplies us with everything good, that's God. And those with whom we can share God's goodness, that's our neighbours. That's God's blueprint for our lives. We are designed to be conduits of the grace of God into the world. Keep what God gives us and hoard it selfishly for our own ends and it becomes stagnant and ends up doing us no good at all, let alone anybody else. Sooner or later, putting ourselves first entails putting other people down and that can have a toxic effect on our relationships and ultimately on who we are ourselves. Jesus turns the whole orientation of our lives around, from being looking inward to looking upward and looking outward. He knows how we are wired, how good relationships are essential to our well-being as people made in the image of God. That's why he puts so much emphasis on the importance of forgiveness. Because we need to get along with other people. And the good news is that he's also the authorised agent for dispensing divine forgiveness when we get it wrong. And forgiveness is not about simply writing off all our moral debts so that that leaves us free to sin again with impurity. No, forgiveness comes to us and sets us free. Liberates us from the hold the past has over our lives. Changes us from who we've become to the people God intended we should be. If at some point we've taken a wrong turning and we've been travelling in the wrong direction for so long that we've ended up in some pretty undesirable places, Jesus is the one who meets us where we are, gets our lives back on track again. Because as we thought at the baptism and church members class this afternoon, we can never fall off God's map. We can never reach a point where he can't connect with us. Wherever we are, he can meet us there and say, okay, You should be here, but you're over there. doesn't matter. Let's start from where you are and let's get you back to where you should be. That's salvation. Jesus' death redeems our lives from sin and its destructive consequences. As risen Lord, he gives us the Holy Spirit to turn our lives around. And under his direction, he enables us to start to live our life God's way and in so doing changes the ultimate destination of our lives from death to eternal life with him. The key question is, are we prepared to make the switch and take the costly step of handing our lives over to him as Lord? Do we recognise that somewhere along the line we've taken the wrong turn, our priorities have been skewed And we need a saviour. And are we prepared to take the costly step of saying, Jesus, sort my life out. It was easy for the beggar at the gate. He had nothing to lose. It was different for the religious leaders. They'd invested far too much in their own position for them to be prepared to admit they'd got it wrong. What about you? What about you? For those of us who are all too keenly aware that our lives have gone wrong or maybe are in danger of going wrong, the good news is that whoever we are, whatever we've done, wherever we find ourselves, Jesus is the one who can save us. And he's more than willing to do so because he loves us. And he's able to do so because he gave his life for you, to redeem you from sin and destruction and death. Why does Jesus matter? Jesus matters because we matter enough to him, for him to give his life for us, to turn our lives around and set us on the right path that leads to eternal life. Jesus matters because he's the only one who can save us. Jesus matters because he's the only one who gave his life for you. Jesus matters because he rose again from the dead to take charge of our lives and lead us out of darkness into his kingdom. Jesus matters because he is our saviour if we're prepared to put our trust in him and hand our lives over to him. Jesus has given his life for you. That makes him your saviour. Will you give your life to him and allow him to save you? Let's pray. Jesus where we have started to go down the wrong path would you stop us where our progress feels like it's headlong and there's nothing we can do, step in and save us where we can feel that we've become set in our ways turn our lives around Where we've started investing too much in things that really don't matter. Where we've lost sight of what our priorities should be. Lord, set us on the right path again. Thank you that you're our saviour. You know what you're doing. We can trust you. where we have placed our confidence in something else that is letting us down. Lord, help us to entrust ourselves again to you, the one who saves to the uttermost, who will never let us go, but who holds our lives in his hand for eternity. Thank you, Jesus for giving your life to be our saviour. Please come into my life as Lord. Amen.